I have to kind of click on that slide before I can advance it. There. I wanted to show up looking somewhat like this this morning. <laughs> Dig out my old uh, completely uh, black three-piece suit. And I have a hat like that that I have not been permitted to wear. So I thought today would be my opportunity to do it. But I forgot all about it this morning when I was getting ready. <laughs> ID had come to me yesterday to try something like that. Have you seen people dressed this way? Not all may have, depends on where you have been. Even within the U.S., there are places where you would uh, see uh, folks who are attired this way. Um, usually wear only black and white, um, a tall black hat, and they allow their sideburns sort of, or hair, by the temples to grow down, and there's sort of even art to how you kind of maintain it. Uh, very noticeable. Uh, they have a prayer shawl, and which has got tassels by the side. Um, these are marks uh, of attire for uh, ultra-Orthodox Jews, even a group called the Hasidim. The Hasidim move, the Hasidic movement started in a place that you would now know if I mention it, actually in Ukraine, <laughs> Eastern Europe, and then spread west, and then you know, when most of, a large, the majority of the Jewish population in the world migrate to Israel, you will see them also there. Now the, the Hasidim, the plural, or the word Hasid, occurs in the Bible a couple of places and translated actually the godly ones. <laughs> so they have taken the name which seems to be understood as being godly. And these marks of godliness, really, um, they could find a good argument for persuading you that they <clears throat> are from the Bible. Um, it is actually in the passage that was read to you today, this morning. It is Moses speaking to the people of Israel. They are in the plains of Moab on the east side of the Jordan. They are awaiting crossing the Jordan into Canaan. Um, they have already been given uh, part of their inheritance on the east side of the Jordan. They are going to cross. And he is enumerating the law that the covenant God made with them at Sinai before they cross over, but it's a new generation. The old dudes all died in a while wandering in the desert uh, because they had disobeyed, disbelieved God that he would grant them the land. Now a new generation has come up and the law is being given to them with, you know, in, in forms that apply to the new context as they will be in the land of Canaan. And so here Moses uh, instructs them that uh, on behalf of God, that what God has commanded them uh, should be with them, around them, on them in so many ways. The words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Not only should you have it, you should teach them diligently to your children. How often should you do it? <clears throat> you should teach them when you are Sitting in your house, when you're walking by the way, 
when you lie down, when you rise up. And then he says, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and as frontlets, uh, phylacteries, called between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So um, what they do is rather elaborate, at least in, in the attire which I pictured for you there. You know, they, they do, there's a, a ribbon-like thing that's going over the arm, even tying to the fingers. And the, the, the growth of the sideburns is really based on another command that they should not uh, say shave those. Um, so, <clears throat> question for us this morning is really, what are genuine marks of godliness? I actually carried my Bible onto the platform this morning so that you all would think that I'm not ungodly, right? Um, the text is actually over here. I could have, <laughs> I could have left it. Behind, But I remember once, and this was many, many years ago, uh, I had actually moved from California to Michigan to begin actually a ministry, and they had begun, you know, announced a few lectures as the beginning of it, and I was going to talk about creation, and I went into the pulpit without a Bible. Boy, did I hear about it. <laughs> Often we connect many of these external things with godliness. And the Hasidic Jews actually have a good biblical basis for this, right? God says, tie it between your eyes. Tie it on your arms. And then we'll see a verse in Proverbs, on your fingers, fingertips. Uh, it should be on your doorposts. So the mezuzot, uh, they are really signs of uh, being Jewish or being pious, that you have, they have a portion or even at least the Shema, some portion of the, the law written, and it is on the doorpost. Every pious Jew would kind of touch it and, and, and kiss um, as you go enter, exit, etc. And we often think, or mistakenly think of being a godly person also in those very external terms. Um, how you dress, you know, could be important. Uh, how frequently you carry your Bible, how your hair looks. And you see, I'm, I'm within the rules on all of those. Um, but yeah, there has been even a phase within American Christianity where fundamentalism was characterized by these external marks. So let's uh, look at this again, and let me show you a few more verses and, and, and think about this. Um, it's not just in the law that this is stated. Proverbs chapter 7, uh, verses 1 through 3, My son, keep my words and treasure up my commandments with you. Keep my commandments and live. Keep my teaching as the apple of your eye. How do we do that? Now, that, that is challenging. Bind them on your fingers. There they did it. At least they thought they did it. Write them. Here's now the challenge. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Now that's going to be dangerous. 
right? So on the one hand, this is doubly difficult because when the Bible, the Old Testament speaks about your heart, it is not speaking anatomically of the pump inside your chest cavity. It's an amazing pump. I was marveling about it the other day in a conversation with somebody. God created this pump that keeps on running continually, I mean, without a break, for your whole lifetime. I mean, what a design. But it is not that the heart pump that is the heart. And very often we also think about the heart as the place of our feelings. But uh, the biblical use of heart is not the seat of feelings, nor is it the internal organ of the heart. It is your insides. It is the inner person. It is the, the immaterial part of your being. It is what we think of ourselves as we, right? It is, so this is the same thing that when the psalmist, Psalm 103, when it says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and then the next line says, and all that is within me, this is the you to whom you may talk without being diagnosed as being ill. <clears throat> so it is the you. It's the, your conscience, your inner person, soul, spirit, the metaphysical part of your being. And so here we actually get, there was actually a clue even in the, in the portion we read before. I just intentionally skipped it. Uh, here is a clue that when the Lord is asking them to do these things, write them, you know, on, on your forehead, write it, bind it on your arm. Here in Proverbs, bind it on your fingers He's not speaking about doing something merely symbolic and external. Because after all, imagine the whole Pentateuch being written and carried on your forehead. Or if not, starting in Exodus chapter 19 and down through the end of Deuteronomy. Now that would still be difficult, right? <clears throat> because even in making a book, each one of those is a separate scroll. It's a big fat scroll. And so when the Lord said, the things that I'm commanding you, you should write them uh, between your eyes and on your doorposts, <clears throat> it really mustn't have been to be taken literally. <clears throat> this is one of the difficulties that we have when we read the Bible. We feel that because God spoke, uh, everything should be understood literally. We should be, I want to be careful about this. When God spoke... And those of you who have been listening to me now for four weeks have heard this already, right? When God spoke, he spoke to us in human language using all of the devices of human language, including figures of speech. Would you believe that the Lord Jesus, when he was here on earth, he used hyperboles, exaggerations, as a normal device of speech? You want to hear one? says, you strain out a gnat, but you swallow a camel. Don't start a new understanding of culture by saying in the days of Jesus, Israelites were so large they could swallow camels. This is not true. So he is using an exaggeration, a figure of speech to make a point. So when the Lord is saying here to Israel, or Moses, through Moses, he's commanding them, the words that I command you today shall be on your heart. That's a starting point. It shall be on your heart. And not only you, you shall teach it diligently to your children. And how do you keep it on your heart? 
Well, you should talk about it when you sit down. You should talk about it when you get up. You should talk about it. You know, that's kind of hard, don't you think? You know, talking about what is in the law when you get up first thing in the morning. You should talk about it when you are on the way, he says. You should tie it. It should be, you should be surrounded by it. And you all say, praise the Lord. We are fulfilling it. We are at Emmaus Bible College. We are getting it day in and day out, first thing in the morning, last thing at night, in chapel, in the classroom. Can't get away from it. Good choice you all made, I should say. But this is, in fact, what the Lord is saying, that your life your conduct should be, should be kind of what soaked in. It should be surrounded by. It should be bathed in the truth of what God has commanded you. Why? Because there are so many things outside, even in the very environment. In, in fact, not, you don't have to work very hard. This is, I think, a testimony I have heard about Martin Luther. He went into you know, a monastery to get away from the world and to get away from temptations, but he couldn't. Uh, within the monastic walls, temptations assailed him, you know, because you can't shut those things out. Because the metaphysical realities around us, unseen things, whose evidence is there in so many ways. So not only do we fight our internal corruption because of sin, we fight an unseen enemy who is around us, who is very desirous of exploiting our weaknesses and causing whatever harm, damage to us, uh, discouragement. And so God says, no, surround yourselves with my truth. Keep it always before you. Uh, Look at another passage. My son, keep your father's commandment. Forsake not your mother's teaching. Bind them on your heart always. Tie them around your neck. I'm reminded here of of a verse out of the Song of Solomon where the the woman says, My beloved is to me like a pouch of, I don't know if it is myrrh, but a spice that it's lying between her breasts. It It is with her and it is producing its fragrance, a constant reminder. And some of you might understand what the language is, huh? Um, my beloved, is his, his reminders are there. It's like a perfume that comes up constantly. So here it says, bind it from, on your neck. Let it hang down from your neck that it is always with you. It is, you are being reminded of God and his ways and his will constantly. Tie them around your neck while you walk. They will lead you. When you lie down, they will watch over you. When you awake, they will talk with you. How many of you have... Restless sleep. You don't have to raise you. Some of you do. So I think here is the prescription. A therapeutic. I don't know if Dr. Broussard, you would agree with this one. But if you are having um, trouble with your sleep, it may matter what, you, what is the last thing on your mind as you go to sleep. And sometimes we can regulate it. I'm not saying every sleep problem, uh, sleeplessness is solved this way. But... Uh, I know times when I toss around lying awake. Not many times. I usually am a good sleeper. But sometimes things bother me. Maybe close to my heart. And hours go on. And it's hard falling asleep. 
But sometimes there may be other things that are bothering you and may not be personal distresses, worries. So how do I wake up could perhaps be controlled by what do I go to sleep with? And if, if the time in your, the Word of God and the encouragement of God and the promise of God are the last thing that I am dwelling on as I fall asleep, it would have an impact also on what I am waking up with in the morning. When you lie down, they will watch over you. When you awake, they will talk with you, it says. Hear my son, your father's instruction. Forsake not your mother's teaching. It's in the very opening book of Proverbs. They are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. So, so much of language in the Bible. And so we come back to our Deuteronomy passage. And here is the crucial thing. Moses and God is saying through Moses, the things that I am commanding you today should be on your heart. I should go through life, conduct myself, make my choices with full awareness of the will of God. Right? I should live my daily life. I should make my plans. I should make my choices being fully aware of, and if it is on my heart, if it is bound between my eyes, if it is bound to my arms, I'm committed to it. I should go through life with a wholehearted commitment to the will of God. Now, it seemed to me, uh, sometime I was, a message like this was being said, and someone felt the necessity to, another session to stand up and say, uh, Romans chapter 3, we are justified by faith in Christ. Amen. We are justified by faith in Christ. What does that make us? It makes us children of God, right? It makes us people who have a destiny to spend eternity with God. It makes us God's witnesses here on earth. So let me ask you, how should we live? <laughs> should we, because we are justified, should we live like those who do not know God? Because I have been justified and Christ is necessary for righteousness before God, should I ignore the fact that this is in fact what I am called to and the lack of righteousness is my problem and God has come into my life providing the solution and therefore to continue in the old ways is not the right thing for me. It is not appropriate for me and therefore I should be what I have been called to be and made to be. And this is God's desire concerning us. So when the Lord gives a commandment in Deuteronomy, elsewhere in the, in the Old Testament, even wisdom, God is not saying, I want you to be merely people who are outwardly godly. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, you should really live this way. Here is the blessed man, the happy man, and of whom you will hear from me often because he speaks to me often. This is in Psalm 1. His delight is in the law of the Lord. In his law, his instruction, he meditates day and night. Day and night. He's surrounded by the truth of God's word. So our Lord Jesus <clears throat> had a confrontation with the Pharisees. Actually, they came and confronted him saying, Why do your disciples don't follow, not follow all the rules? 
And it's part of that the Lord Jesus says to them, and this is often a mistake with many who are in the church who hold to the gospel. They do all their deeds to be seen by others. Maybe this morning you are very committed to God. Feel that you are a strong Christian committed. So the question to ask is, what form does that take? Am I happy to be noticed to be doing all the right things? Or do I really, in my heart of hearts, want to please God and regard how I think and what I say and what I choose, how I spend my time and what my priorities are and what my values are? Do I give God the place that is the right place for me to give? Or am I happy as long as nobody is pointing out something obviously wrong or you know, out of the norm in terms of how people behave that I do? So they do all their deeds to be seen by others. Just very quickly, uh, they make their phylacteries long. These phylacteries, these... Uh, uh, cords hanging from uh, uh, them. Oh, no, they make their phylacteries broad and their tassels long. And the tassels hanging from uh, their waist is something commanded again in the book of Numbers. Uh, this comes after the incident where someone uh, at the very beginning of the law openly breaks the law. Uh, this is the man who gathers firewood on the Sabbath. Moses comes to God and says, Lord, what should I do? This man has broken your law, and he wants God's verdict because the Ten Commandments do not in it prescribe a penalty for breaking the Sabbath. And the Lord says he is to be put to death. It's at the beginning of the law. He's sending a strong message. God is to be heeded. And then... In Numbers 15, the Lord said to Moses, Speak to the people of Israel and tell them to make tassels on the corners of their garments throughout their generations and to put a cord of blue on the tassel of each corner. And it shall be a tassel for you to look at and remember all the commandments of the Lord. Look at the, the, what I have highlighted there for you on the slide. The purpose of the tassel was for them to be reminded of all the commandments of the Lord, to do them, not to follow after your own heart and your own eyes. The tassel in itself didn't mean anything. It didn't make them righteous. It was not a mark of godliness merely to wear it. It was there to remind them, don't forget the commandments of the Lord. So there are many things in life, even for the church, there are things that are commanded the Lord Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, that we should remember him. They are not an act of virtue or righteousness in themselves, but they serve an end. Because the true definition of godliness is to conduct myself in a way that is completely pleasing to God. It goes beyond externals. We should clothe ourselves in a decent way, appropriately. Our own conscience should not condemn us about how seriously or lightly we take things. But the true mark of godliness is really a commitment and actual conduct to obey God to be completely pleasing to him. That is what I should be. That's what you should be. Lord, may my words be pleasing to you. Like uh, David said, let the thoughts 
words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart, may they be acceptable in your sight, O Lord. May my thoughts, my words, my conduct, the way I relate to people, how I interact with my fellow students, how I interact with my teachers, how I interact with my parents, how we deal with one another. May my conduct be pleasing to you. May you have, Lord, the ultimate say in regard to my choices and determinations in life. May I seek to honor you in all things. This is the mark of godliness. May you wear that mark and have God's blessing.